Welcome to the Find the Way podcast. In this show, we will try to explore what is happening in emerging markets and how entrepreneurs, investors, and communities are simply finding the way to make phenomenal things happen, regardless how volatile the environment may sometimes seem. Hey, everyone. I'm super excited to present to you today to Thomas Pena, the managing partner of the Yield Lab LATAM. Yield Lab is providing financing and mentorship programs for multiple different act tech companies around the region. And I'm super excited to go deeper to the topics with Thomas because he's been experiencing the roller coaster of Latin American market for almost past three decades. So welcome, Thomas. Hello. Thank you, Eric, for inviting me to your podcast. Would you be able to give us a little intro to yourself and, and what have you been working on? Yeah, sure. So my name is Tomas Peña. I'm the managing partner of the YearLab LATAM. The YearLab is an independent fund from the YearLab network that we launched in 2017 with 35 people coming from St. Louis to help us set up office here. Uh, this was uh, the first investment of the YearLab LATAM in Latin America. Actually, I was the first investment when I was part of the Solapa 4S4, which was one of the first startups that started in Latin America in 2011. Um, we did fundraising for in three rounds and uh, I left the company in the Series A and then move on to, to open the office of the YearLab here in LATAM, where with Camila Petignat and Roberto Iton and Franco Pierini, we started the fund and we then added Kiran Garland, who's in, in San Pablo and Santiago Murtag. And we, today we're managing um, 20, $21 million in AUM uh, assets under management in three funds. The last closing of the third fund was in June in San Pablo. And altogether, we invested in 18 companies in six countries. And um, we have a team of 12 full-time employees in Argentina, Brazil, Chile, and now we are opening in Mexico. So we're super excited uh, to be part of this uh, Actec revolution that taking longer than people would have expected because of the size of the opportunity, but also because um, agriculture is kind of like a complex world. It's not that hard. Maybe it's not that sexy either. I mean, people uh, like B2C investments faster. I mean, the, um, the Facebooks and the, and the and Mercado Libres of the world are much more attractive, but this is very solid, interesting investment. That takes a little bit longer, but it's very, very high rates of returns also because of the, of the disruption that it's creating in, in, in digitalizing agriculture from the base up, right? Uh, one of the things that we have done, I think, differently is involving the yeah. farmer from day one. We have a lot of farmers, our investors, our collaborators in with the startup. Uh, they even develop a program called Nestos here in Argentina. And uh, another program in Brazil called Acte Garage, which is not 100% farmer-based, but it's more corporate and farm. But it's very interesting because uh, it shows that, that you need to go deep uh, and develop a niche play here in, in LATAM, uh, which is at the end of the day, it's 40% of the arable land of the world, one third of the natural water resource of the world that's transported heavily with crops and, and, and beef. And also, um, with the U.S., Argentina and Brazil have more than 90% of the soybean production of the world. So you have a 
very, very strong um, opportunity. But what's missing sometimes is knowledge. Um, some partners I said, immense talent, very conflictive economics, but most importantly, they don't know what they don't know. And we've been working on around that concept in the last five years. And I think we're doing a good job because we're getting a lot of traction from both startups and investors that are wanting to participate in this project. And would you be able to elaborate a little bit then, then how you're enabling your portfolio companies to, to thrive, to be able to do better? Are you providing certain type of acceleration programs or would you be able to, to go yes, through of course. that? So we, we declare ourselves as entrepreneur friendly. We've been working, all of us have, um, all the partners have started a business in the past or participated in a startup. And we've been there, have done it and on the fundraising side. So we help them a lot on, on fundraising. We help them a lot with introductions for commercial purposes. We help them a lot helping with team growth as used. So we, we talked about lead scaling that book that shows that sometimes startups, they break up when they do very well. That's 66% of the time startups break up because f founders don't get along or they have different visions. Growth could be a problem and um, we are very close to them and we manage anxieties and, uh, and being close to them in terms of understanding how can we help. We have a very positive attitude and how can we help. We have programs, of course, the, the scale-up program where we help them define the time, the song, and, and the go-to-market strategies. Um, again, we help them with introductions. We have a very strong network of co-investors. We help them setting up events where they, they can come um, on an equal basis with an investor and other players. I, we don't like them to pitch that much. We don't think that it's all about pitching. It's more about sharing and collaborating and understanding how can we work together. Uh, a pitch, of course, sometimes is needed and, and it's a good conversation starter. But I think um, those events are totally about pitching um, it's kind of difficult to hold the, the, the interest on, on 14 pitches in a row, right? And um, we have 18, 19 companies. We try to, to make them talk to, to the investors or the customers or the stakeholders uh, on a one-on-one -on -one, uh, basis, of course. We work a lot on the decks and we work a lot on the pitches and all that. I mean, sometimes um, just putting them on, on events uh, with investors and stakeholders is way more beneficiary than just putting me in a pedestal and say, okay, now you sing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, okay, now you have 21 million, uh, under, under management that you're allocating in this fund, right? What type yeah. of text? So those are provide? the three funds. So the first fund was a $2.5 million at fully allocated in 12 companies. The second fund was a one year fund that was $3.5 million and it's fully allocated in 11 companies. Some of them are from the first group. And then the third fund is a 50, a $50 million fund, which we did a first close of 15 million that, that would add, add up to 21 million. And out of that, we, that money will be allocated in over five years. And we already deployed in the year one. So we already made four investments, but we're in the process of closing another one. So we're open and an active fund. And we probably reached the 30 million mark by mid next year and, and the idea is to finish it off in 50. What's interesting about this fund is that the yeah. investors are all incumbents. 
people who are related to the business, either CPG companies or or farmers or, or input providers or machinery providers and people that are within the ecosystem. And that's very interesting because we you get a lot of um, the risking, if you want, in terms of when I come to Mexico, I have um, two companies that are from Mexico, but also five or six companies from the portfolio that are moving into Mexico. Uh, we, when we go to Brazil, we have a partner in Brazil that helps the Argentinians or Chilean or Peruvian companies to go into Brazil. The Brazilians don't really see the market, outside market, as a, something that you would do in a pre-A or A level. You would probably do it at a B or C level. But we're starting to have some Brazilian companies looking into the U.S. market and looking into the Mexican market. Uh, we have a very strong position in St. Louis, Missouri, where we know the whole ecosystem. We've been active participant of that for the last five years. Uh, we are launching a program, St. Louis to Latam, with uh, the help of the Danforth Center and uh, the Ferdinand North Initiative. We also were in Miami last week, where we're also working with a group of people to to, to have another hub for Latin America with Inter-American Development Bank, which is an investor in North Sun. Uh, we also go to San Francisco in March. We've been working a lot with uh, World Agritech. Uh, we're helping them set up their play here in LATAM. So we are very active networkers, and all that is for our investors and our fund, uh, fund portfolio companies, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And if we take a look now that your third fund now is substantially larger than your previous ones, and so you have a lot more capital to be allocated, that clearly means that the investors of your fund are seeing more and more of this larger opportunity. Um, what has changed in the environment during your career when it comes to AgTech? You've been playing the game for a long time right now. So, yeah. uh, no, I mean, there's how a technicality, right? The market has developed into this stage. The second fund was a, a one year fund of 3.5 million. So that equates to a 15, $18 million fund of a five year fund. BC, right? A traditional fund. So this fund, uh, we are allocating almost the same amount of money, but with longer commitments. Um, I don't know if you know the mechanics of a venture fund, but you make five-year commitments, and and if you're going to invest $1 million with the fund, then you invest five tickets of $200,000. Uh, that's, that's, that's a standard BC fund. The first two funds was one, an accelerator fund, and the other one was a um, one-year fund, which was like a, what we call a warehousing deal fund. That is the year zero of a bigger. The thing was that the, this this one-year fund went so well that we couldn't put it in the in the other fund because it would be unfair to the investors. So we, we, we started a new fund. That's a technicality. Uh, so you can say that there's more money, but I would say it's more steady money than more money because the amount of money that we would deploy per year today is the same as 2021. Having said that, uh, we have, uh, we're still talking to investors and we probably uh, double that number. So that number could double, but we're still working on it. So the market, I mean, as you know, yeah. Eric, this year was a, a reasonably bad year for BC. Uh, after a very outstanding year that you had last year, which was for Latin America, $15 billion. When I started in 2011, the whole market was $141 million. And five years ago, we went to $500 million. 
and then to 2,000, then to 5,000, and to 15,000. Um, this year, the official number as of June was $6 billion. So everybody is expecting the number to be around 10B. But what's interesting is that in the 6B that you had in the first semester, it was the same amount of operations that you had last year as a record. So you're having a lot of more smaller ticket operations, than, which is very healthy for the market, right? Um, it's way better to have a lot of smaller ticket operations than a, uh, one or two outliers that, that don't, don't, don't explain the market, right? And what we're seeing here in Latin America is that there's a change of paradigm that um, you, you came from centralized innovation to distributed innovation from a vertical system to a horizontal system. And that has leveraged the growth of BC in a very important matter. Our bet is a regional and niche play. So you could say it's higher risk or lower risk, depending on how you see it, right? Um, in our vision, it's a lower risk because it's a very specific risk for people who understand the business. And it's a distributed bet in five countries, or six countries in this case, but five countries where we have a, a four countries that we have a base and we we'll probably have another one in Central America sooner than later because we, uh, we work together with the ecosystem. We, we establish very good network that help us de-risk this kind of investment by talking to the right people so you don't waste that much time and understanding the vertical. So it's a totally different story when you talk about soybean and corn and, and, and wheat than when you're talking about avocado, cherries, berries, and uh, banana. Um, totally different market, totally different uh, layout of people, totally different understanding, totally different economics. In soybean, you can make a thousand or two thousand dollars per hectare. In cherries, you can make a hundred or eighty thousand dollars per hectare. Totally different volumes, totally different. But the biology is almost the same. Many times it's the same. And uh, what you're going to use uh, algorithms for irrigation, like Kilimo did in. In the Pampas, then you can do it in the Andean region uh, with as much accuracy. So this is a very important um, play because as, when you start understanding this as a biological play, then the country doesn't matter anymore. You just care about the plant. And, um, and you have to have the plant experts and you have to have... But if you look at the team that we have, we have a very commercial and financial team. We, we don't have experts in, in agriculture. Uh, we do have it, but not as part of the decision making in, in the in the investment committee, because we are more focused about the the money than about the plant, right? What kind of business we're doing uh, in Latin America? We understand that the business approach that we have to do is bottom up. Um, so, I mean, if you look at adoption, um, farmers have adopting technology massively in a very very significant way. If you look at the investment that they make in hardware, it's massive. But if you look at the, the use of software, there's one application that everybody uses and no, has no problem of connectivity or usage or anything, which is WhatsApp. So if the, the, product, the producer can use WhatsApp and cannot use your app, it's because there's something wrong with your apps, not with the producer necessarily. But also you need to teach the producer to, to explain what he needs. That shopping list is super important. And, and, and we've been working with them um, in trying to understand that shopping list as much as we can. 
And what have you found? Anything exciting to share from your recent explorations into the new shopping list? Well, basically what, I mean, that there's no magic wand, that there's not going to be a silver bullet, that this is going to be a, a steady growth of adoption of technology. But, but what's super interesting, important is that the farmer and the stand of the farmer uh, understands this and, and gets involved. That means learning to code. That means reading certain books that are available online for free, like startup communities, like uh, venture deals, like blitz scaling, books that are there that they tell you how to do it and, and nobody is teaching them or reading them as much as they should be. And we've been preaching about that and um, and we repeat ourselves, but we really believe that um, the startup community mode is the startup, I mean, something that you have to do in your town. Um, talent is everywhere. And uh, when you do distributed innovation, like what is happening, uh, the value at, at, at the end point is as valuable as, as the one who's aggregating information, right? Because the, uh, in agriculture, the, the knowledge is so granular that nobody will have the capacity today to take over the whole ecosystem. And, and, and they tried and, and they failed basically because nobody wants to give um, control over the food production of the world, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And then you mentioned earlier that you have a lot of farmers who joined as investors to, to your fund, uh, have joined the mission of creating a larger ecosystem of AgTech within the region. How did that start? Was it your initiative to start approaching based on the network that you already were establishing or was that a request uh, from the farmers? How, what's the story behind that? I think that's super interesting. Well, I mean, I don't think there's one person or one reason that started the whole thing, right? If you look at the Bioceres case, 380 farmers invested $600 in a company that today is listed in NASDAQ. So um, the story, farming in Argentina had, has a lot of history around this. Uh, if you look at the CREA movement and the Presid movement, those are movements that have been around for many, many years. And, and then again, they, they, they don't know what you, they don't know. No? Once they started seeing, they started going to, I mean, there's a very nice group that's taking a lot of people to San Francisco and uh, the Club Actec in, in Cordoba, very good people. They're doing lots of efforts in evangelization. But I think what's, what's, really, what's really missing or what's really something that, that we've been helping um, was to help them understand that, that to, to get involved, you have to build a product and, and you have to know how to monetize, right? And um, but again, I don't think that this was one person or, or one event that made it happen. Uh, Solapa Cuatro was invested by mostly by, by a group of investors that were farmers also. And um, sometimes you might daydream of if they really, they could get more involved. They could, I mean, you could really take it to the next level. But once you understand that this is how they feel comfortable, then, then you... You, you understand that how the market um, one, one thing that really helped me understand this was uh, one day I was in, in somewhere in Urbana Champaign somewhere in Illinois talking to a very important player and he said you know what I'm tired of, of 
people bring me solutions to problems I don't have. No, that, that's where they were talking about in the Midwest about the San Francisco. And then you went to a San Francisco event and they said, you know what, today we really care. We really take over agriculture. Farmers are not going to be needed. And that is a non, a, a conversation breaker, right? I mean, I think farmers should understand coding a lot more. And I think show, coders should approach farmers a lot more. Um, I don't think it's going to be like a Jeff Bezos of agriculture. I don't, th I don't think, I haven't seen him or her. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think they're going to let um, somebody take all the credit for architect. I think it's going to be more collaborative. But I could be wrong. I mean, I, I mean, the, the, this approach has that risk that somebody um, puts everybody on a place and takes over and, and buys, buys, mashes up all the, the start. It could happen. I don't, I don't think anybody's doing that, but maybe they get the idea from this. Uh, don't, don't do it because I don't think that. I think it's better to have uh, distributed innovation and, and really make the ecosystem much more about money without being something, without um, but being as sustainable as possible, right? Um, because when you get to be too efficient, you get left out of market. So you have to be mind, um, mindful that, I mean, this is a, a business that has to be a sustainable business in every way. When we talk about sustainability, we don't only talk about environment, we also talk about social sustainability, right? Um, to get as many people involved as possible because this is a good way to get talent to the next level, right? And, and that is a win-win proposition. And, and you only got to access that talent if you, if you propose win-win approaches. If you're only proposing that everybody works for you, then I don't think that this is going to happen. Yeah. And what would you say that are now the, the biggest challenges that your portfolio companies or the players operating in the world of Actact are currently facing? Well, the biggest challenge is an exit, right? And the biggest challenge, I mean, this is BC, venture capital. I mean, you're putting money and I have to give returns to my investments. Um, so exits are the big, the big question mark here in, in LATAP, right? Today, if you, if you look at the market, where the market is, you, you have a few, very few B rounds, um, more and more A rounds. You had a lot of pre-A rounds and um, you have massive amounts of seed people, massive amounts. And, and the pre-seed, I mean, if, 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 if I had to ask for something, it's a lot of accelerators really getting involved in this because you have a lot of talent that they don't know Again, they haven't read those three books I'm telling you about. So you have to be, um, yeah. you have to help them understand that the next level is worth taking the risk. Because at the end of the day, if you did a, a, an A round and then you have money in the bank and you say, oh, I'm sitting on my, my stock, allegedly is valued at $5 million because you have a 50% of a $10 million valuation. And, and nobody's telling you that's not it, guys. I mean, if you if you if you try to sell that that stake in your company at this level of revenues, at this level of development, it's not even worth two million. Okay, two million is a lot of money, but I mean, nobody's saying that. And that, this is very important. It's not worth 
the, the nominal value of the round by any chance. Okay, so will I risk my five or two million to get another round, get diluted, and really take it to a next level? That's a that's a big question. And um and what that entails and means means I'm gonna have to get on the plane a whole lot more. I'm gonna have to be running a lot of more problems at the same time. I'm going to be risking uh not working with my friends because I have to expand the team and get people I don't know that are professionals are gonna take me to the next level. But the culture is going to be, um, so that's that's a, that's what Lead Scaling talks about, right? And 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 that is the biggest challenge, especially in Latin America. When when you do a startup, you do it really with your friends, you, you, your friends and family. And it's not a as we were talking before, family and friends are super important in Latin America, and leaving them behind and leaving them out of a yeah, deal, yeah. Uh, and understand you know you know what we love each other, but. I, I want, I'm very ambitious and I don't care if I go to the next level without you. It's a very awful thing to say in Latin America. And, um, and, and you put in a lot of social capital in, in, into your work, right? I mean, your investors are people that they trusted you mm-hmm. and um, they thought that they, they knew that there were risks, but when you say, you know what, the 25K that you gave me, they're not there anymore and they're never going to be there anymore. But Tomas, I trusted you. Yes, I, I, <laughs> you want to look at my bank account. I mean, when you failed in Latin America, it's very difficult. Um, but it's still worth a try because what you're seeing as what's happening today, you say, hey, if it's got to really go to the next level, we can hire more people, we can get more people involved, we can get, um, we can create value, we can create, we can be part of a of a changing world. Um, I mean, this is something very core for for producers also, for farmers. I mean, you can yeah. tell them two ways. I mean, this change is going to happen. It could happen with you or without you. If it happens with you, then you can profit from it. If it happens without you, then somebody with your information is going to make a business and going to sell it back to you. Uh, which way do you want to manage it? How how much do you want to get involved? Yeah. So, I mean, you're making everybody uncomfortable when you when you're innovating in agriculture um but at the end mm-hmm. of the day it's, it's like a forestry right Instead of, i mean it's a 10-year plan um some of the trees will live some of the trees will not live but if you don't do anything then you won't have anything absolutely absolutely and then what would then explain currently such a large boom that even you mentioned that there's a lot of now pre-seed stage funding available. There's more and more entrepreneurs coming into AgTech that, that we have traditionally seen that is might not be as sexy as you mentioned that you go to typical, more typical SaaS platforms, for instance, that are more faster. You can get from the ground and get moving. But now people are attacking this very, very important, very mature industry that, that people are might be more resistant to change than offering a nice new SaaS solutions for highly, highly backed new ventures. So why, why, why is this new sudden huge boom of this, these entrepreneurs coming into the sector? The other day, this is about talent, right? So, I mean, talent look for opportunity and, um, why, why in Brazil it's harder to find talent, uh, at a massive scale than in Argentina, for example, in the case of Actec, because um, 
talent in Brazil is getting a half a million dollar check every year and, and it's very hard for them to leave that check to 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 go and, and start a company, right? You still do have a lot of people that could make that money. And I mean, I'm not saying not going to a limit here, right? I'm saying um you have more quality work in the corporate in Brazil than in Argentina. And Argentina has a stronger need yeah. for people to do something different because the alternative is to to live a low pain life in a corporate in Argentina yeah. or move away from your country and move away from your family and your friends. So it's a life life lifestyle decision. Uh, I I think that Latin America has two two very very important industries today that are agriculture and tourism right and uh agriculture is something that that we are in the top position you know every crop and every animal business and uh again that we come from a centralized in, uh, innovation platform to a decentralized so it's a change of paradigm and and that change of paradigm takes time and for talent to understand that that now you have in, in Latin America four VCs with money Looking for deals is totally different with that when we started in the sport that we had to go to San Francisco and try to explain to the guys what we're trying to do in, in, in Argentina, right? So context had changed. And the same, I mean, when you look at that growth from 141 million to uh, 15 billion in agriculture, that, that growth didn't happen. So why, why should we imitate the market going down? So you have more steady flows of money yeah. and still uh, with li little money in terms of, of big deals of, of the size of opportunity, which is 20% of the Latin America's GDP of 15%, depending on what you're considering. Uh, you should have $3 billion per year in, in BC money for Actec, and, and that's not the number by far. Yeah. In if you really take a little look what you just mentioned earlier, that one challenge is, is always the exit situation. If you look at the exit opportunities within this region for active companies, what is the landscape demonstrating currently? Where is it heading? Are we going to see more IPOs or are there corporates taking over? Are there going to be mergers? There's a lot of more activity happening, but where do you see in your opinion that, that this market is heading? It's a more difficult question after the SPAC business went down, right? The SPAC was uh, something that could have given the yeah. opportunity for a dirty IPO, if you want. Um, in, in my opinion, today is not a problem. What the problem would be if the companies were failing, right? And the companies are growing steadily and uh, they're growing at a different rate that maybe that could affect them, uh, valuations, maybe. IPO is not a, something that could be interesting. Maybe you're not talking about 18 companies that would be billion dollar companies, but more like um, like um, 300, 200 million dollar companies, which is still very interesting, right? So the, absolutely, absolutely. So the and exit, then the exit would naturally be one or two things: uh, M and A's. Or private equity firms coming in and saying, okay, I need this technology. Um, why don't I buy two companies and, and, and secure this technology for me? Or, I mean, there's still the, 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 the private equity guys haven't 
come into play as much yet. They're still figuring out how to get involved in the in the innovation ecosystem in Latin America. So I I, I would say that the exit would be yeah. high, higher yeah. rounds and angels coming out. I mean, depending on who you were talking about exit, right? If you're talking about angel investors, I think they should be kicked out of the company in Series B because, I mean, um, the, the idea is that that money comes back to the ecosystem. I mean, yeah, you train an uh, investor. But that's not something that the market is doing as much. I think it would be very healthy for the market. And then the other thing was private equity firms or, or big corps are starting to say, let me, I, I want to secure this technology. The way I see it today, I, I, I'm not really sure who would be the buyer. If the technology companies or the input companies or the TBGs or all of the above, or maybe even Boeing, Boeing Ventures saying, you know what, um, you're using my satellite to collect this information. I want to have control over it. I mean, this is still a very virgin market in that sense. Mm -hmm. I see. And then if we would go all the way to an IPO for the listeners outside of this region, what would be the best markets to list? Mexico, obviously, but how about the local re regional exchanges? Is there a lot of activity yeah, or is there a target today, and aim for those? Yeah, or? yeah. I mean... We haven't seen that in Latin America, a strong IPO market for, for venture-backed companies in Latin America. I, I don't have like the, the, the answer to say, yes, the, the logical would be Mexico or Brazil. I would say Brazil is, uh, is bigger today than Mexico. And it would be, but I mean, but you have to have a critical mass to, to have enough companies to have liquidity and, uh, and all that. And with all this growth, you haven't seen a market today that's putting prices on 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 equity of of venture back companies other than the five, ten, twenty unicorns, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And then, as a final thought, a final question: um, How do you think that what type of technologies, especially from AgTech, for for people who are not in the game? so deep, especially into ActTech, what type of solutions are going to really make a big difference into us being able to produce food in a more sustainable manner? What type of technologies are you excited about? Well, that's a catch-22 question, because if I answer what I want to answer, the people would say, you're not answering the question. I, I, I don't think it's going to be about efficiency. I think it's going to be about process control. It's more like a Web3 proposition than a biotech proposition and more than a, a fintech. So more about maybe optimization of value chains and how can we say it? Sustainability of the value chain as a win for the whole economy than, than, than IoT or crypto. Win. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's more a systemic solution than a, a, again, the silver bullet. Mm -hmm. No, if we, if we use biotech, we're going to feed the world. Yeah, we're sure, but maybe not. Um, I mean, uh, if we kill all the cows and True. let's eat uh, industrialized meat. Okay, uh, I'd rather not. Um, you, you have to, I mean, there's a lot of things that, that, that are hard answers and they're very much lobbied answers. So uh, whatever I say, somebody is going to kill me. So if you ask me, I think that I see it more in terms of opportunity. And the opportunity is about 
contextualizing yeah. talent to get all the people in Latin America that have talent in agribusiness uh, through an API economy, uh, get involved and, 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 and put their algorithms out in the world. That would be the big win for Latin America, where we can be a powerhouse of talent and changing. I mean, when you're disrupting a business, you don't know where you're going to finish. It's not a disruption, it's a controlled change. Disruption is disruption, and, 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 and we have to be willing to accept that. And I think that, um, that again, if you look at product, market, and, and, and talent, um, if, you have, if, you under, if you agree with me that everybody uses WhatsApp, then the problem is not product, but the problem is, and the size of the market is huge, then the problem is teams. How can we make big, compelling teams that really understand yeah. how to grow fast um, with the cultural boundaries that we have? And, uh, and that's a challenge. Um, listening mm -hmm. more and talking less and listening to what the, the, the end user will be. And, and, that, and the user could be the farmer, but I think the end user is the sophisticated guy who buys uh, something in, in Tokyo, right? The guy who's paying a lot of money for your product. Then if we think like that, then... Maybe yeah. it's more CPGs that should be getting more involved in how food is being produced. That, that agronomic solutions, right? Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Thomas, for participating today in this this podcast. I think it was super intriguing to hear loads of these thoughts, and you were able to open up these things that we don't see that clearly, especially on the other side of the Atlantic. Thanks, Thomas. Thank you, Eric.